0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at developments in pharmacy over the last week. I'm Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Neil Trainus, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters. So there's a lot going on as we battle this second... Uh, Or is it third Covid wave? Vaccination is top of the agenda of course, some of the pharmacy vaccination hubs have come on stream and good luck to them of course. But we've also had the financial results from Boots and Pharmacy 2U, there's been the continuing furore about the assessment exam for provisionally registered pharmacists and much more besides and I'm sure some of these topics will crop up during our conversations. So it's back to the good week, bad week format this week. Uh, so, Rob, let's kick off with you. Who's had a, a good week for
1: you? Uh, well, somewhat controversially, Richard, and good afternoon, uh, I'm going to say hay fever sufferers. Okay, why is that? Because of the new, the most recent POM to GSL switch. Richard. So, allevia 120 milligram tablets, are going to straight to GSL from um, uh, prescription only and so good news for hay hay fever sufferers but i thought we might want to talk about it a little bit because it's a bit of a sting in the tail here because obviously this product going from pom to p doesn't pom to gsl does not go from pom to p and then to gsl and the mhra have said that limiting Allevia 120 milligram tablets to p legal status would unnecessarily limit the availability of the product And I think there's a kind of a worrying trend here for pharmacy uh, in not being seen as a natural place for products newly coming off prescription to go straight into the pharmacy. I don't know what the people think, but I think that's a thing that needs to be watched and possibly thought about how pharmacy responds collectively to the challenge of widening access, which is obviously an important part of the way the MHRA now sees things and is part of its mission, effectively, uh, and what we might think about the natural home for ph- for non-prescription medicines to be, which is in a pharmacy.
0: Yeah, I can imagine pharmacists and uh, pharmacy teams not being particularly impressed about this. Of course, we have had... Uh, this has been an argument that the industry, consumer healthcare industry, has, has used before, isn't it, that pharmacies... Tend to make people jump through hoops um, to obtain the product, rather than kind of facilitating the sale of the product. So there's there's often a tension, I think, between the the sector and manufacturers over this. Um, what can pharmacists or pharmacy teams do, though, Rob, to you know, to kind of hold on to the P category? Because, as you say, this is a rather worrying development for the sector. Surely.
1: Well, I just I. I mean, I'm not sure it can do anything other than perhaps get rid of some of the some of the ways that it expresses concerns about people getting hold of uh, treatments that they might have used before or that they they want and recognize that, you know, we have an increasingly intelligent population who know what they want and think that they ought to be able to get it. And occasionally we put barriers in the way of them getting hold of products. And or we or we suggest that we're going to put barriers in the way of them getting hold of products. Um, And I I think that filters through to the way the MHRA thinks about things. And, you know, my reading of that or you could read that sentence from the MHRA is saying that they think pharmacies are an unnecessary barrier to access to uh, a safe and effective treatment.
0: Yeah, we're seeing this with EHC as well, aren't we? There have been calls recently to widen access to, to uh, EHC preparations and by moving them to GSL, precisely for that that reason, that it's seen as a, as a barrier to uh, to women obtaining emergency contraception um,
2: when they need it. Neil, do you have any thoughts about this? Well, I don't know. afternoon, everyone. Yeah, I don't, I, I, it kind of, uh, just from what Rob was saying, it seems that it, like the MHRA doesn't quite understand the role of the community pharmacist in that point. I mean, you know, where there are medicines, you need to have you know, a clinical support and advice, surely. Yeah,
0: well, That's I, I, I would say you would. We've moved on. I think the industry has also moved on, hasn't it? We're not, remember, they used to have pages and pages of, of, of protocols that um, they would expect you know, pharmacy teams to work their way through loads of questions. And I think we, we have moved on from that, which would would tend to indicate that, you know, we can manage the P category um, responsively and, and not block access. I think the Viagra. Uh, protocols as such are, are, are much more flexible and you've not got pages of, of, of questions to work through. So I think, you know, I think anything that undermines that kind of personal face-to-face professional contact expert advice between patient or consumer and pharmacist, pharmacy support staff is, um, is so, so important. I'd hate to see anything that would undermine that, but we will see the MHRA possibly Charting out a, a changing direction here for for consumer healthcare and uh, OTC products, we shall see. We shall see. We'll keep an eye on those switches. Um, and let's move on to you, Helena. Who's had a good week for you?
3: Yes, thank you, Richard. Um, so my good week is the fact that the UK government has finally um, abolished the tampon tax. Um, This came into force on the 1st of January. So technically, it's not a good week for this particular week. But with this being the first one back for the new year, I'm going to go with it. Um, So Rishi Sunak stuck to his promise from his budget from March last year. um, And they've got rid of the 5% VAT charge on women's sanitary products. Um, And it's been such a long time coming. Um, the fact that around one in 10 girls were having to miss school when they were on their periods just because they couldn't afford the appropriate products was so out of order. And I think that kind of poverty in this day and age is infuriating because it's just so unnecessary, um, as was classing sanitary products as non-essential luxury items in the first place. Um I think there are still going to be some people who struggle to afford them, but I hope that the law change goes some way to instigating further change and kind of rallying people to help with free sanitary products in schools and making the products affordable for as many women as possible, if not all of them further down the line. Um, I know that some of the government's plans have already started to be rolled out in terms of provision for schools and hospitals. Um, And yeah, hopefully that will continue and increase as time goes on. Um, And I think it's also a good reminder for pharmacy teams in terms of um, supporting women and girls in their communities, helping to break down the barriers, tackling the stigma surrounding menstruation. Um, Abolishing the tampon tax is a really good first step. And I hope that the next step is abolishing period poverty and the stigma surrounding women's health um, in general. Um, I think as with with most things though it's not all positive um and it was EU law that mandated the tax and um campaigners have accused the government as using the abolition of the tax as a pro-brexit kind of victory in a way um and actually going back 4 or 5 years um David Cameron had pressured the EU to start the process of allowing any EU country to abolish the tax and The European Parliament had voted unanimously to start that process. Um, But when we left the EU, that pressure was off. Um, And from what I've read, the the process has now gone cold um, and that legislation hasn't gone through. So yes, it's good for the UK, um, but the problem persists in EU countries. And so there are still millions of girls and women who are kind of being overlooked. Um, I think the other key point to, to mention is that since 2015, the money from the tampon tax has been used to help fund women's refuges and uh, domestic abuse charities. So there's calls on the government to to make it clear how they're going to replace that funding in some way, and and I do think that's really important.
0: Very good call, thanks Helena. Um, very good nomination there. Let's move on to you, Neil. Good week for you.
2: Well, I, I've gone for the vaccines minister, Nadine Zahawi, Richard. Um, I think it's been a good week for him. A government's made a mess of so many things during this pandemic, but I don't think you can be too critical um, of the progress they've made so far in rolling out the, the vaccinations. Uh, you know, uh, On Monday, it emerged that 2.4 million vaccines have been administered, um, although 400,000 of those were second doses. But still, it's a, it's, it's a very good start compared to, with other countries, particularly in Europe. I think fr- France and Holland are particularly lagging way behind, um, and I don't quite see why that is. But anyway... Um, I think the UK's made a, a, a great start in it. But is, it is just a start, you know, we have to emphasise that. Uh, and I've also been impressed with it, Mr Zahawi, um, in the, simply because he's been mentioning the one word that I had particularly like for my readers: independence. And, and he's been mentioning independence quite a lot. He's the only MP that I've heard actually mention the word independence. Um, and he sees them carrying out a... a, a a very important role during the vaccination program as it moves forward at pace. So let's hope so. Again, these these are just words at the moment because I think at the moment, as Muhammad Hussain uh, wrote in an article he opinion piece he published for us uh, uh, this week earlier this week, you know, at the moment it, there's not much clarity. Um, we don't know where they don't know where, uh, when, and 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 who is who is actually going to ask them and, what, and when they're going to be actually playing a role. It needs to be more clarity. It needs to be a bit more something a bit more tangible and solid. Um, but I think so far so good. Uh, for Nadeem Sahawi. So I think it's been a decent week for Nadim.
0: Yes, I think we'd all agree with you there. That the, I mean, the government hasn't done much that's particularly impressive during this, this pandemic, but the rollout, for, so it's from, this is from a low base, but the rollout of the vaccination programme is uh, has been very, very impressive and it seems to have got off to a, a very promising start. And as you say, Neil, we've seen the, um, the pharmacies uh, getting involved, um, the hub operations uh, this week and lots of coverage um, in the press about Asda and Birmingham and Knights uh, and Independent. Morrison's, of course, we talked about it last week, have teamed up with Pharmacy 2U and, and, and plenty of others as well. You, you're right, O'Neill, uh, we discussed this, this last week. Um, pharmacy has a role, um, potentially a big role, but where do the independents kind of fit into that and where does the pharmacy network as a whole fit into that as this immunization program um rolls out lots of warm words at the moment lacking in detail but i tell you one thing um this thing is going to be this pandemic uh is going to be with us for a little while longer and it's going to be endemic going forward so yeah when it comes to uh, uh repeat vaccinations surely Community pharmacy has a has a
2: big role to play going forward. Rob, just to, just to, oh, just to add to that. Sorry, Richard, just, just to deal. add to that. Though uh, uh, the fact that Mr. Nadeem Zahawi has actually said independence as well, he hasn't just said pharmacies. He has, he's actually mentioned the word independence. He's committed himself now. He's on record as saying independence. So that is something he'll have to follow th- follow through on. Yes,
0: indeed. Yes, he has. He's he's been um, several times actually. He's been very specific on that point. You're right, Neil. Uh, Rob, you want to come in there?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there is, there is generally a lot of good news around this. But I, I'm hoping that um one of these uh, sites that they're gonna find for a pharmacy to deliver the vaccine is in Wolverhampton. Because contrary to the um to the statement that everybody's gonna get a, offered a vaccine within ten miles. Is that right? Ten miles? You go yeah, no, no, no further than ten miles. Yeah ten miles my, my very elderly mother has just been offered a vaccination um for the with the COVID vaccine. And her site is 20.4 miles away from where she lives, uh, involving a very interesting journey down the M6. So um, I think uh, I think there's a little bit of work to be done, but, you know, fair play. You know, teething troubles they might be, and hopefully some of these things as more sites come on stream. Uh, uh, I'm not quite sure how my mother would get to Millennium Point in Birmingham. Um, tram, maybe? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But um, yeah, generally good news. But there's a few there's a few things that still need to be sorted out. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there are local a local pharmacy in Wolverhampton was to get a get a site up and running. Uh, I think my mum would be one of the first in in line.
0: And I'm sure there there are lots of people in in communities like your mum who would much prefer to 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 walk to a local pharmacy to have it done. So um, yeah, there's good news, but but you're right. There's still a lot of work to be done as we, we go forward with this, this programme. Um, what about me? Well, good week for anyone who had the privilege and pleasure to listen to a wonderful lecture. Um, this continues the COVID theme, actually. Uh, the lecture was given by Professor Sir Roy Anderson of Imperial College, who was a leading international authority on epidemiology and infectious disease control. And this was the annual UCL rps new year lecture it's kind of the traditional start to the year really um but delivered online of course this year um, on tuesday it's a brilliant lecture um, we all tuned in into it i know sir roy just a fantastic communicator no jargon as i think you pointed out rob no finger pointing um just a, a calm analysis of the facts and the, the challenges uh, in dealing with the covid pandemic and he didn't pull any punches like i said before this disease Um, is going to be with us he said globally for a very long time and creating herd immunity through vaccination will be difficult looking up to I think he said up to 90% coverage to achieve that and perhaps every year every other year depending on on how much protection is afforded by the vaccine and we, we don't know that yet and he very clearly made the point that if mass vaccination is going to become a regular feature of life for all of us in the future then Pharmacies have an important role to play. He's full of praise for community pharmacy, actually. Um, So, great lecture. um, Really enjoyed listening to it. It was sobering as well, though, um, because the challenges ahead are are huge. But I'm going to go for good week for Sir Roy and for those of us who tuned into his lecture on Tuesday. (laughs) So, let's do bad week and I'll start here. Now, bad week and good week are sometimes two sides of the same coin. So, my bad week is pharmacy to you who posted yet another loss in its financials for 2019-20, £3.8 million, but they might equally argue that it's been a good week, as these losses are down by nearly £12 million on the year before. Now, I think Arthur reported this story on Pharmacy Network News, and we immediately got jumped on by, by pharmacists saying, yeah, but they still made a loss, and yes, they did still make a loss but our our angle with the story was that their losses are getting smaller and I think you only have to look at the rise in EPS nominations by the likes of P2U, P2U, is that right, loss making or not, uh, or ECHO, to see that the pandemic is definitely changing patient behaviours in terms of where they get their prescriptions and as unpalatable as this will come to, to some of our listeners and readers. So This presents a challenge to the Bricks and Mortar Network. We know that. Um, Only this week we saw uh, an excitable press release from another online pharmacy uh, predicting the closure of the last high street pharmacy in our lifetime. Well, I don't go along with that, but the challenge remains for the established traditional physical pharmacy network to build a synergistic digital offer that doesn't undermine face-to-face contact because the distant sellers are on the march. So, bad week, or possibly a good week, for pharmacy to
2: you. Neil, uh, who's had a bad week for you? Well, my bad week nomination goes to two people, um, both with the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, um, Claire Anderson, the chair of the English Pharmacy Board, and Mahendra Patel, who's a member of the English Pharmacy Board. Um, now, I'll just explain, briefly explain the context to this. Um, this, this concerns the Provreg uh, assessment that's Taking place due to take place in March, and there's been a lot of a lot of debate about this, a lot of contention, uh, a lot of people saying that this is just an unwanted distraction at the moment because Proverge should be focusing on what they need to be focusing on, which is COVID and, and and you know continuing the brilliant work they've done on the front line during this pandemic, and other people see, seem to think that no, the GPHC are right, you know, think we need to press ahead with this assessment. But this is this was the context. So on, on January the fourth, uh, Martin Bennett, Wicker Pharmacy, tweeted. Time for the GPHC to abandon the assessment and register all provisionally registered pharmacists immediately unless previous tutor or current employer has concerns. Um, A day later, January the 5th, uh, Mike Hewitson replied, I agree with Martin. And on the same day, January the 5th, Claire Anderson replied, so do I. So she clearly set out her stance on the the matter with that with those three words. She's clearly of the belief that, that the assessment should be scrapped and that the prov should be registered immediately. Now, we had three days later um, a statement released by the RPS on behalf of all the National Pharmacy Board chairs, January the 8th, this was, in which it names all the Pharmacy Board chairs, including Claire Anderson, in which it says that the assessment, we believe the assessment in March should still go ahead. Um, now, now, the statement, to give the RPS some credit, um, was a very supportive statement, uh, 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 very supportive of Prov Regis. It wanted some flexibility in there. To, to, it wanted to give prof Regis an opportunity to choose to do the assessment online. Uh, it wanted other support measures introduced. Um, so credit to the RPS for that. But clearly, clearly, um, it showed uh, uh, that Claire Anderson, somewhere between January the 5th and January the 8th, in those three days, she changed her mind. Now, I don't know whether or not she'd been tugged into line by the RPS, whether she'd been forced to toe the party line on, on that issue. Um, but I just think that it, I think that pharmacists, pharmacy teams, as, as well as ProvRegis, pharmacy teams who have depended on ProvRegis during this pandemic really do have a right to know, really do deserve to know why she changed her mind on, on an important issue such as the assessment. Um, Robbie Turner uh, got involved in this on Twitter and he replied, it's all in our statement. But actually, uh, I, and I replied to Mr. Turner and I said, well, actually, it's, it's 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 not really because, you know, I think Claire's stance needs to be explained. And clearly there has been a change in uh, her position, clearly did contrast with that of the RPS. Mahendra Patel, he was another, uh, another English Pharmacy Board member who also had a view very different to the one that emerged on January the 8th, on January the 5th. He also agreed with Martin Bennett that the assessment should be scrapped. And he said, can't be fairer than that and so justifiable under the circumstances. Let's not delay. And he included an emoji of three kind of praying hands. So I think from that, again, pretty clear that he was also in favour, fully in favour of scrapping the assessment. Now, when we when I reported this on Twitter, he took a particular disliking to that and blocked me on Twitter. I'm not sure why he blocked me for reporting accurately what he what he'd said. Um, so I just think that it it needed to uh, certainly Miss Anderson's position needed to, as, as the chair as an, as, a, as a as a person in a in a position of of influence, the chair of that board, her position needed to be clarified, and it ha- it still hasn't been despite the statement on January the 8th. Um, so for me, uh, you know, I don't think it's been a great week for Claire Anderson um and i don't think it's been a great week for mahendra patel yeah there definitely seemed to
0: be a, an inconsistency in approach um there it uh, it may be that the comments on social media were, were posted before the society had, uh, had agreed a position um but anyway yeah i uh, the perils of, of of social media i guess for our, for our professional leaders and maybe um um some lessons there for them uh, okay thanks neil uh, rob what about you? Who's had a bad week? Uh, I have, Richard. <laughs> why is that?
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. I don't mean to laugh, Rob. By the way. <laughs> um, so today, I had I had reason to uh, call NHS one 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 for a small minor matter with a, with a little bit of a vision vision issue, and uh, to cut a long story short, um, I've actually ended up in uh, in a place which I should have really foreseen. I don't mean that in a kind of a funny thing because I'm talking about sight. But in the December issue of P3 Pharmacy, we covered uh, the COVID urgent eye care service uh, in our eye care feature. Just a little box saying uh, about this free NHS service, which has um, been rapidly sort of rolled out as a result of the pandemic, uh, available across the UK, helping people to access urgent emergency eye care during the pandemic. The COVID... 19 urgent eye care services open to all patients in participating areas visit www.primarycare.co.uk so um so had i read my own publication or had i taken any of it in on the three or four occasions i would have read this particular <laughs> paragraph during proofreading and stuff i would have uh, managed to avoid having uh Spent an hour at AE, which is somewhere clearly I should not have been, which is where NHS 111 sent me. Uh, and I've ended up much, much quicker at the point where I'm going to be later on today, which is in an optometrist's, uh, just getting a quick check checkover. Um, so, yeah, not really a, a good, good thing for me. As one of my colleagues on this podcast uh, sent us a message earlier on today, uh, you know, something like hoist by your own petard or uh, you know, you ought to at least take more notice of the sort of things that you're spending your time doing. But um, on a more general point, I think it's an interesting model s- service. This. So, I spoke to um, when I was eventually put in the right channel. I spoke to a very helpful optometrist from Sunderland who was who was uh, running the the phone uh, phone bank uh, this morning, and um, within twenty minutes, I got a call from a local uh, optical practice just in town from me and uh, i'm going down there this afternoon so uh pretty good all round, really and um, delighted with all of that uh but yes uh lesson to the wise read your own publications because it might save you uh, a wasted journey but maybe a model there that pharmacy could think about well yeah that's that's a, a great little service
0: there rob i hope you, you get your eyes sorted out and i always think there's a there it is a difference between proofreading and reading because I can never remember anything. I proofread either. But um, that's a great example of a, of a very responsive, localized service. Um, and uh, yes, Rob, I will um, I need to hurry to that page of P3 as well, just to brush up on um, um, local eye conditions services during COVID. So, yeah, thank you for that, Rob. Um, Helena, do, we, do you want to finish us off, please? And uh, who's had a bad week for you?
3: Um, well, it's definitely been a bad week for the start of the Formula One season with the first two races postponed, but uh, safety first and all that. Um, but my actual bad week um, is um, people, um, not all people, um, just a small minority of them who think that abusing pharmacy staff who are doing their job and supporting the health of the nation during a global pandemic is acceptable. Yeah. Um, They're under enough pressure as it is without the addition of feeling vulnerable in their place of work. And um, I think, yeah, it's just completely unacceptable um, to to be hearing reports um, of of abuse. Um, Luckily, it seems that there are only a few incidents, but any incidents are are too many. Um, The zero tolerance messages that are being circulated by the PDA and Boots, and I'm sure others as well, Um, are really welcome and I know PSNC has been on it as well with reiterating the rules and guidelines for community pharmacies operating during the pandemic to ensure the safety and uh, security of all members of staff which is really good to see Um, and hopefully instances like these start to occur less frequently Frequently um, and ultimately uh, cease to exist, but we shall have to see. Oh yeah,
0: I, I yeah, I hope we we we're not in the dark days of the first lockdown with with the appalling abuse that some pharmacy team members received. Um, Neil, what have you got to say about this?
2: Well, uh, it was interesting. The PDA actually, yeah, rightly rightly praising Boots for kind of taking a, a kind of lead on this, particularly with the posters and the and the zero tolerance approach. But it also caught my eye that they also mentioned. It would be advisable if, if some of the other other CCA members could take could take note of this. So clearly, in the PDA's eyes, the CCA, other CCA members are not really you know doing enough. Yeah,
0: we we've had this before, haven't we? I think all CCA member companies would say that they follow um, have a zero tolerance uh, policies uh, and crack down very hard on people giving their their teams uh, abuse or worse. But um, anyway. Good to see the PDA uh, once again grasping the nettle on this. Um, we really don't want to see this terrible situation of fancy teams under enormous pressure being subject to to abuse intimidation or worse and hopefully um, this will be stamped on very very quickly so we've just got time for a quick any of the business um, I'm loving the serpent. On TV, I think it's a, it's great. I've really got into it, um, and I'm I'm also hooked on on the situation in in America. It does seem to be teetering on the brink, doesn't it, of, of something I don't know what, but it's uh, it's 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 compelling, um, worrying, and compelling. Um, who else has got in any of the business, Helena? What's been exercising you?
3: I see what you (laughs) did there. Um, So um, unlike Boris Johnson, I live on the edge of the Olympic Park um, and I was quite entitled to be there on Sunday afternoon without causing any confusion or controversy. Um, I didn't have the pleasure, if that's the right word, probably not the right word, um, of seeing the Prime Minister on his bike, um, but I also didn't see the hordes of people that he was apparently concerned about. Um, There were people in the park. Um, But I wouldn't have said it was particularly busy and definitely no more busy than it has been um, for this whole period. And so, yes, I was quite taken aback by his comments. Um, And, yeah, if they if they start to say that people can't go to um, a park to do um, their exercise uh, once a day, then, um, yes, I don't know what this world is coming to.
0: Yeah, well, quite. Yeah, Helena telling Boris to get on his bike there.
1: Um, (laughs) Rob, what about you? The Prime Minister being economical with the actuality, really. Who would have thought it, eh? Uh, I'm just, yeah, like you, Richard, I've been watching a bit. I've watched a bit of TV. In fact, I've watched a very small sliver of TV. I'm really into the second series of Staged. With um, Michael Sheen and David Tennant playing oh, yeah. larger than life var- variations of themselves, it's brilliant. Ar- arguing about, uh, arguing about, um, running uh, a piece on the th- on the theatre. Uh, absolutely great. It's in fifteen minute chunks, which is about as long as I can sit in front of the TV uh, and watch anything these days. Uh, but great, and their their whole supporting cast, including their real life partners, are just great. It's just uh, it's a lovely watch.
0: It, it's a great watch, and, and two of my my favorite actors, obviously Michael Sheen, is is an absolute legend. But it, it's funny, isn't it? They they have themselves up very cleverly, don't they? And it, it's uh, at fifty minutes, yeah. It's it's sharp, and it's very
2: very funny. Um, yeah, good call. What about you, Neil? yeah I just I just uh, agree with you guys on that brilliant uh, TV. Simon Evans is a fantastic writer as well, so um, I'm hooked as well, Rob by the way. Um, my one, I've got a bit of a moan really my other, in the other business. it's it's these annoying um, these these annoying people who are running on the on the high street as I'm walking along, runners and joggers on the high streets, spewing their spittle everywhere. Um, as I'm, and, and not socially distancing. and, and uh, Why can't they just stay on green, air, green areas and parks like the rest, like, like most runners do? I, mean, I, I, I never thought about this before the pandemic, of course, because why, why would you? It never, never occurred to me. But given that we have a more virulent, more transmissible strain of this horrible virus in, in London and the South East, it makes it even more kind of important for these runners to get lost and get onto parks rather than running past people and, and breathing heavily all over everyone. So... Uh, I-, I wish the police would enforce. I- I'd like to see Priti Patel and the police in, uh, um, departments all over London enforcing uh, these annoying joggers and runners. Get them on the green areas and get them off the pavements. What you guys yeah,
0: think? Yeah, I I-, I I agree, Neil. I'm a runner as well, and um, I runners who who run on the pavement annoy me as well. I, I always try to either stop and get out of the way or-, or-, or cross the road. So um, no, absolutely. I- that it's a very annoying trait, and I do like spewing their spittle uh, one of my favourite <laughs> phrases of the day um, so alright, thank you gang, I think we'll uh, we'll bring this week's pod to an end there um, thanks very much to, to Rob, to Helena and to Neil, the pod is available on the PM website and from all your usual download sites, and next week I hope to be talking to Harry McQuillan from Community Pharmacy Scotland in our interview spot, but for now from all of us, thanks very much for listening